There's a scene in the show, The West Wing. If you've not seen the show, it's a shame. You need to watch it. Uh, certainly one of my favorite shows of all time. But there is a scene in the show where President Bartlett is coming to the end of his presidency. They have got uh, one year left in their second term. And as they're all gathering around talking, the, the former chiefs of staff, Leo McGarry, kind of, they go around the room and they talk about kind of how their day has gone. And he said, you know what, what I've learned is so many things happen. And before we realize it, the day has gotten away from us and we've got nothing accomplished. And then he writes on the board. He had 365 written on the board. He erases it and he puts 364. He says, we've got 364 days left in office. And he says, we can get more change accomplished in one day in here than we can in a lifetime when we walk out these doors. How are we going to spend this time? As I was reading our passage today, that scene kind of came back to my memory uh, as a kind of a flashback. Because unlike a presidency who knows when their time is in, their time is over, we don't know When our time has come to an end or when it's going to come to an end. And as I was thinking about that, I heard this acronym from uh, Chuck Swindoll a good number of months ago. And it has kind of stuck with me. MTC. Now, I have heard throughout church this morning that people trying to guess what this acronym stands for. We had some quite some jovial conversations during sound check about what does MTC stand for. And there are some quite some interesting analogies out there thrown out. But MTC stands for Make Today Count. Make Today Count. Because we don't know when our time is coming to an end. So the question that I have for you today is, how do we make today count? If you will turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43 is where we're going to spend our time. And as you're turning there, Luke is in the New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels that capture Jesus' time here on earth in his ministry. And where we find ourselves in this particular passage is that Jesus has already been, quote unquote, tried. He has already been convicted. He's already been beaten. And he's on his way to the cross, to the, to the, the hill called Calvary, to ultimately be hung on a cross. So if you have your Bibles, let's read Luke 23, 32 through 43. And two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, saying, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there is also an inscription above him. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuses at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the others answered and rebuking him and said, Do you not even fear God? 
since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he, Jesus, said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So that brings me to my first point, and that is this, the condition. As much as we don't want to admit it, especially when we're younger, there is going to come a point in time where our end date has arrived. Now, the older I get, the more I realize that that date is, in fact, going to come. Probably sooner rather than I want it to. But each of us has an end date. But the challenge is we don't know when that date is. But in our passage today, when the day started, there were two criminals who were revolutionaries and likely insurrectionists. They were not your normal just kind of petty thieves. In the words of Bonnie Fife, you know, I want, I don't want some picket pocket. I want somebody that does a real crime. Well, these are people that have done real violent crimes. They have committed heinous events. And the only punishment that was for their crimes was death. Death on a Roman cross. They had been convicted of very serious crimes. A punishment for which there was no escape. There was no getting out on good behavior. There was no working your time off. There was no way to get out of it. There was no appeals. The only way to avoid the punishment was to be granted forgiveness or to be granted a pardon by the only one who had the power to do so. And in this case, it was the governor. We saw him do that with Barabbas. But when we think of Jesus being led to Calvary, notice verse 32 in your Bibles. The two criminals were, be led, were being led along the same road as Jesus. Now, we often don't think that the two criminals saw anything that happened. We just kind of think that they showed up at the scene and there they were being crucified with Jesus. But the passage tells us that they were being led along the same road. They got to observe the same things. They got to experience the, the torture that Jesus went through. They got to witness the struggle that Jesus went through. They got to witness... The torment that Jesus went through. They saw his ravaged body. They saw everything that was happened to him. When they get to Calvary, Jesus, along with the two criminals, were nailed to their crosses, awaiting to be raised to their death for everybody to see. You know, interestingly, we find ourselves in the same position as these two criminals. We too have, we too have committed a serious crime. One where the penalty is death. We have already been convicted of it. Now that crime is sin. We have sinned against a holy God. We have rebelled against a holy God. We have missed the mark that he has set for us. And we are sentenced to death. Both physically and spiritually. The only one, the only one acceptable payment for that sin is death. We too are like the criminals. But that brings me to the second point, and that is the situation. See, when we look at what's taking place in this passage, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, the insults, the mocking are all flying at Jesus from all different directions. The rulers, the religious leaders, the crowd, 
All of these insults are being held and being hurled at Jesus. They're coming from all directions. Now, if we were to flip over to Matthew chapter 27, we were going to see that the crowd is also ridiculing Jesus, saying, save yourself if you're the Messiah. Get off of that cross if you're the chosen one, as you claim to be. Remember back in this time that when a criminal was hung on a cross, their crime was actually nailed above them. And scripture tells us that Jesus is inscription. The crime that he was committed of was saying, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. But I want to show you something very interesting. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 30, excuse me, 43 and 44, we find this. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes and the elders, so think of that as the church, the, all of those that were in charge of teaching the law, were mocking him and saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come now, come on down now from the cross, and we shall believe in him. He trusts in God, let him, that being God, deliver him now. If he takes pleasure in him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers also who had been crucified with him were casting the same insults. Now, think of these religious leaders. They make an interesting proposition to Jesus. They said, if you can come down, then I'll believe in you. Now, what they're really saying is, I've seen everything that you've done. I've heard everything that you've said. You claim to be the Messiah. You claim to be the Son of God. You claim God to be your Father. I've seen how you've interacted with people. I've observed all of this. If you can come down off of that cross, we'll believe in you. Now, obviously they're saying that a bit tongue-in-cheek because they had no, no thoughts at all about doing that. But notice what they said. If God is pleased in you, then ask him to bring you down. So what they're really saying to Jesus is this. Either you say who you said you are, that you're God and you can bring yourself down, or you are the son of God and he's pleased in you and he will deliver you. If neither one of those things happen, you're going to stay on the cross and you will have proven our point that you're not the son of God. Now they're thinking we've got him right here. We've got him on a technicality. But I also want you to notice verse 44. We don't really focus much on verse 44. There were two criminals on each side. What does it say that both criminals were doing? Both of them were mocking Jesus. Both of them were hurling insults at Jesus. We often try to put these two criminals in two silos. The good one and the bad one. But when this whole scene begins to play out, both criminals were mocking Jesus, were throwing insults at Jesus. They were piling on just like everybody else. But notice this. Three men were condemned to die. The one who was innocent, Jesus, was the one being insulted, mocked, ridiculed by all of those who were not innocent. But if we look at what's taking place, all the attention is on Jesus. So it is almost like there's one man condemned to die, even though there's actually three. One of the criminals joining in the chorus says this in Luke, back in Luke chapter 23. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. 
Save yourself and us. Bring yourself off of that cross and us as well. His insults were directed at Christ, not for what Christ could do, but he wanted himself to be delivered. He wanted himself to be taken off of that cross. His insults were directed at Christ for his own self-preservation, not for redemption. He wanted Jesus only for what Jesus could save him from, and that's the cross. Not for what Jesus could save him through, which was the cross. And that sounds kind of strange. He wanted the convenience of salvation, but not the transformation it provides. He wanted to be delivered from the cross, but not be delivered by the cross. But then we come to the other criminal. Rebuking his fellow criminal, saying, we are guilty. We deserve what's happening, but not him. This man has done nothing wrong, but yet is suffering the same sentence as we are. Do you not fear God? Let that, let that thought sink in for just a moment. Do you not fear God? Throughout this time, this particular criminal has experienced a transformation. He went from hurling insults to now understanding who Jesus is. This criminal understood who Jesus was. In fact, the Messiah. So what changed for him? Maybe the better question is what changed in him? You see, this criminal understood that he deserved what he was getting, and that was death. Because of the crime he committed. Likewise, we too must come to the point of realizing that we deserve the same penalty, death, for our crime, which is sin. You see, when God opens our eyes and we come to that point of admission, it is in that moment that we are humbling ourselves to the fact that we are not able to save ourselves from our condition. It is in that moment that we find ourselves that we need someone to deliver us. We need someone to save us. We need someone to forgive the crime we've committed. We need someone to grant us a pardon. We need a solution. And that brings me to the last point. The solution. You see, when the second criminal identified Jesus as the Messiah, God himself, he believed in who he was. The Son of God. And he wanted to be associated. He wanted to be a part of who Jesus was. He wanted Jesus to remember him when Jesus entered his kingdom. Do you remember back when Jesus started his ministry back in Matthew chapter 4? In verse 17. Jesus had just come out of the wilderness with temptation. And he began to preach and he began to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning that he was the Messiah. You see, when... When the criminal asked Jesus to remember him, he wasn't just saying, hey, buddy, don't forget about me when you get up there. Don't forget about me when you finally are delivered. Because you see, in the Greek, at the root word of remembrance means to abide. What this criminal was saying is, I want to abide with Christ. I want to be associated with Christ. I want to be a part of who Christ is and what Christ is about. I want to be a part of the family. The criminal wanted to dwell with Jesus in Jesus' kingdom. And notice what Jesus says in verse 43. Truly I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus answered the man's plea by saying, yes, you will be with me when my kingdom come, when I get into paradise. Pastor Stephen Whitmer says this. The first criminal bears Roman condemnation on the cross and then God's condemnation forever. And he deserves both. 
The second criminal bears Roman condemnation on the cross, but no condemnation from God forever. He deserves the first, while the second is a free gift. Jesus, though he deserves neither Rome's condemnation nor God's, bears both on the cross. And so he secures for the second and for us, who is every bit as bad as the first, the free gift of eternal life. You see, unlike the criminals who knew when their last day was, we don't. We don't know whether we've got 50 years left. We don't know whether we've got 50 days left. We don't even know if we have 50 minutes left. We just don't know. This may be the last message that you ever hear. I pray that it's not. But this may be the last message that you ever hear. And I don't want you to walk out of here not hearing the gospel of a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, just like those criminals, we have a crime and that is sin. Sin is what has separated us from God. Sin is what has driven that that fellowship apart. Sin is what has condemned us to death. And that is missing the mark that God has set for us. We are born into this world as sinners. No matter how good we are, no matter how much work we do, no no matter how much we help others, that is not going to grant us salvation. We are in need of someone that can take that, forgive us of that sin. And that's why Jesus came. That's what we just read about. That's what we're getting ready to celebrate at the Lord's Supper. Jesus came to pay that price on the cross to take away our sins. He was the only one to do it. He came from heaven to earth. The atoning sacrifice, the one sacrifice that was acceptable to God. He took that sin from us. He died on the cross to pay our price. He defeated death in the grave. He demonstrated his power over the grave through his resurrection from the dead. And by placing our faith and trust in him, believing in who he is, repenting, turning away from our sins and turning to Christ, we too can be just like that second criminal and be with Christ forever in paradise. And you too can have that relationship. My prayer is that if you have not made that, have accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior to enter into that relationship. My prayer is that today is the day for you. Make today count. We'd love to talk to you after the service about how you can have a relationship with Christ. We don't want you leaving here today without understanding more about what that means. Because this may be the last chance you hear. But if you have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, and maybe you've fallen away from that relationship, maybe there is a sin that has come into your life that has driven a wedge between you and Christ. Make today count by repenting of that sin and turning back to Him as Lord and Savior. Restoring that fellowship, asking Him for forgiveness. That can be granted to you today. One of my favorite quotes, and I've used it before, is by the British missionary from the 1800s, C.T. Studd. And he says this, Only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Make today count for Jesus. If you've never accepted him, today is today. If you turned away from him, repent. Today is today. So how do you make today count? As an individual and as a church, we make today count by surrendering our all to Jesus. You know, when we were, when people were trying to guess this morning what MTC stood for, I think Philip had the best guess of anybody. He said MTC stands for this, motivate the church. And I think he's right on. The gospel should motivate the church to make today count. You know, I've got a quarter. 
It's worth 25 cents. But you know what? When I spend that quarter, I can't spend it anymore. It's only spent once. And that's like today. Once today is over, today is gone. We can't make today count yesterday. We can't make tomorrow count. We can't make today count tomorrow. We can only make this moment count for Christ. Let's close in prayer. Most gracious God, I just thank you for who you are. Because I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. To pay the penalty of our sins. Dear God, just like the criminal, we deserve death for our crime. But dear Lord, a pardon has been granted through your son, Jesus Christ. Dear God, I pray that if there is one here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior and doesn't have that relationship with you, I pray that today is the day that they come to know you as Lord and Savior. Dear God, if there are those here today that have strayed away from you, I pray pray that today is the day that that fellowship and that relationship is restored through repentance. Turning away from those sins and turning back from you. Dear Lord, thank you for making a way through your son Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection on the cross. For us in Christ's name we pray. Amen.